The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And the second reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test all of them. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. 
May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. There are two kinds of people here. One kind, you're feeling bright and on the ball, as you do most mornings. When the sun gets up, so do you, or even before. The day goes on and night falls, so do you, asleep. You are a morning person. The other kind, you are here, but you're not all here. You're slow in waking up, usually not to be out of bed for hours. Later in the day, you will be picking up. As the sun falls, that's when you shine. You are an evening person. It's a question of metabolism. Which are you, a morning person or an evening person? Well, the message today is that spiritually, Christians are all extreme morning people. I'm speaking metaphorically, not metabolically. Not a question of when you literally get up, but the kind of life you live and the kind of person you are. Whether you're a morning person or an evening person, metabolically, spiritually, you are to be an extreme morning person. In fact, the Christian is the one who is up so early that everybody else is asleep in the dark. They are the ones who are awake. Now, in recent times, the word woke has been used of those who are especially aware of issues of social justice, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and the like. It means to be awake, to be woke to what's wrong in society. The term originated in African-American community, African-American culture, but has lately become mainstream in the last few years. In fact, it's even now been turned around to a term of abuse. When Justin and I were brainstorming the titles for this series in 1 Thessalonians, we had the theme, A Deeper Blank. Um, last week was A Deeper Hope. The week before, A Deeper Self-Control. And so we decided to call this one, wait for it, A Deeper Wokeness. Okay, we take responsibility. A Deeper Awakeness, if you like. <laughs> a Deeper Awakeness. Now, I'm sorry to say that this morning will be the last sermon 
in the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, we imagine. And as we've been hearing, and, and we're going to chapter 5 of Thessalonians, which Justin touched on last week. Now, as we've been hearing, this letter is to a Christian community a mere 20 years after Christ. And the readers had only been Christians for months or so, a couple of months or so, maybe it's a month, we don't quite know exactly. Because when Paul had gone there to that northern Greek city and proclaimed Jesus as the risen Lord, they had responded quite powerfully. They'd turned from falsehoods to serve the living and true God. They also turned to wait for God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God had raised from the dead, who would rescue them from the coming judgment of God. Now the thing is, these Christians lived so close to Christ's death and resurrection behind them that they also expected Jesus coming in glory almost just as close in front of them. And as we heard last week in 1 Thessalonians 4, they were upset when members of their community died. Why? Because they feared the dead would now miss out of the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ and be lost. And Paul had to reassure the readers that they would not miss out because when the Lord arrived, those who'd fallen asleep would be raised from the dead first. And so we shall be with the Lord forever. Now, how different is our situation from that? They, 20 years after Christ. Us, we are 100 times further away, 2,000 years. They expected to be alive when the Lord arrived. We, we know it's possible um, that the Lord could come in our lifetime, but we do not have that as a common expectation. For the Thessalonians, it was a shock that believers could die before the arrival of the Lord. For us, it's the norm. It's the norm. Now, you might say that we've got a better sense of the scale of time in this matter now because we know, as it's going, we've seen, look back 2,000, we know, well, it could be another 2,000 years, maybe 4,000, maybe 10,000. Who knows, we might say. It seems a long way away from us from the point of your feeling. The big question, therefore, is this. Does that fact mean that the arrival of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, is less important to us? less urgent. Actually, no. And the reason, as we'll see, is because when what Paul wrote to them in their circumstance also speaks directly to us in ours because Paul completely reframes the question of when it will be. He completely reframes the question of when it will be. And let's approach his teaching under three headings. One, what you can know accurately about the coming of the Lord. That's number one. Number two, but with believers it's different. They'll not be caught out. And three, so get up and get dressed early. Three points. Firstly, what can you accurately know about the coming of the Lord? Verses one through three of chapter five of 1 Thessalonians. I quote, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well, the Greek word is the word akrobos, 
accurately, you know very accurately that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. What can you know accurately about the coming of the Lord? You can accurately know that it's unpredictable. That's what you can know. You, don't, you can't know when is what you can actually know about it. You do know accurately that he's going to be like a thief in the night. To pick up an image that was coined first, I think, by our Lord himself. Now, think about this. What is it about a thief coming at night? Let me tell you something about thieving. The point is if you're a thief, you plan to do your thieving when no one knows you're coming, right? You don't text them beforehand to expect your visit. It's about, all about arriving unannounced and unexpected. That's the point of thieving. So as the, the household relaxes, unaware, then you do your work. You thieve. So it is with the day of the Lord. Unannounced, unexpected. Like a thief in the night. People will be saying, should be right. Bam. The wrath of God. The coming of the Lord. Paul says there's labour pains upon a pregnant woman. You know it, that it's going to happen, but you don't know when it's going to happen. So the first point is this. What can you accurately know about the coming of the Lord? Answer, that you can't know when for what you know it will be like a thief in the night. Point one. Point two, but with believers it is different. They'll not be caught out. With believers it is different. They'll not be caught out. Verse 4, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness that this day should surprise you like a thief. You will not be caught out or surprised. The Greek word means literally caught out. You say, why? Why will the Christian not be caught out and surprised like a thief thieving in your house? Is it because the Christian secretly knows when it will be, whereas others don't know when it will be? No, no, no. It's not because they know when it will be. It's because they know what the day will be like. The reason why believers are not caught out is not because of the when it happens, but the what is going to happen. Verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness that this day should surprise you like a thief. For, and that's in the text 4, you are all children of light and children of the day, we don't belong to the night or the darkness. That's why you won't be caught out, because you're not in darkness. Let me explain Paul's metaphor. Imagine that it's night time. And night time, by the way, like in Paul's day, for a minute, just think about in his day, when there were no, all you had was oil lamps and candles and stuff. There's no electric lights, there's no lit buildings, there's no, it's a very different experience of night time until the coming of the Industrial Revolution than we experience it. So it's really dark. That's how Paul wants us to think of the present age of human society. It's dark. It's night all the time. And imagine that everybody's at home in that darkness. They think it's entirely normal. In fact, they think it's permanent. They are nocturnal and behave like it. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Now imagine further 
the coming of daylight. The dawn streaks across the sky, chasing the darkness away, bringing everything to light. This is how Paul wants us to understand the coming of Christ. When he comes in glory to judge both the living and the dead, it is then daytime. It is morning in the universe, you might say. Now it is light, not darkness. Now, how would you think that sudden eruption of dawn would affect the nocturnal, for whom it is alien and totally unexpected? It's like when you half when you sleep and someone turns a light on, right? That's how the day of the Lord will come to the world, suddenly exposed, suddenly nothing hidden, suddenly the glory of Christ. And that's how it'll be for all, except those in Christ. Not because they know when it's going to happen, because, as 5.5 puts it, verse 5, you're all children of light and children of the day, because the believer does not belong to the night. She belongs to the day. You don't belong to the night or to the darkness. That is, a believer in Christ is a daylight person, at home in the daylight, not at home in the darkness, even though at the moment it is all dark. They're out of time, in other words. They may now live in a nocturnal world, but they're not nocturnal. They're the opposite. Now that is? Diurnal. You learn two things today, how to be a thief, and the opposite of the word nocturnal. Two, two take-homes. They are diurnal. That's what those in Christ are, diurnal. Already before dawn, they're in daylight already, as it were, verse 4. But you, sisters, are not in the darkness, that this day should surprise you like a thief. For them the light is on every... The light's on because they already are in Christ, who is the light, you see. Let me now return, therefore, with that, if we, we grasp that, with the question I asked at the beginning of these remarks about how long it might be before that day occurs. Will it be soon or not for thousands of years? It doesn't matter. Why? Because it is what it will be that makes the day important, not when. This could be just as true for you and important for you if you die before that day. For as Justin so eloquently put it last week in his sermon, referring to those facing the possibility of death, Quote, if the resurrection is true, then your best days are necessarily ahead of you, unquote. See, it's not the when, but the what that matters, the coming of daylight for the universe in the reign of Christ. That's what matters. In fact, I go further and say, frankly, unless you know what this means, the, the when's doesn't mean a thing. doesn't mean a thing. Supposing you could, if possible, know when the Lord would come, you know exactly what it was. It still wouldn't be much help to you. I mean, unless you knew the what, unless you knew Christ. Because take a person who knows only the night, right? It's all you know, it's night. And you're sure that's all there is. Had no idea what daylight could possibly be. And you tell them, the dawn's coming. They'll say, what? I understand. So it will be, unless you know the what, that is Christ in his loving, life-giving reign, the when, frankly, is secondary. And that's the second point. First one was... What you can accurately know about the coming of the Lord is you can't know, thief in night. Number two, but with Christians it's different because 
Not that they know when, but they know what. They're living in the light. Which leads to the third and last point. Therefore, get up and get dressed early. Out of bed. Into the light. Put your clothes on. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 to 8. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on the faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. End of quote. Put simply, the Christian is one who now gets up before dawn, awake and dressed and focused. A spiritual morning person par excellence, in other words. Put that again. You live now knowing the way things are today are not what they'll be at the coming of the Lord. You're up early. That's why, by the way, so often unbelievers look at Christian behaviour with puzzlement and often... You love your enemies? What? You're not putting all your energy into getting your career or your money or your house or fame? You're living a life of sexual purity and holiness? What the heck is this about? It makes no sense, a lot of things we do. Unless the day is coming and we know it and we're up early. To live now in the light of the coming of the Son of God, who on that great day will put all his enemies under his feet, including death itself. And when he's done all that, he'll then hand the kingdom to God the Father, so that all God may be all in all. Of course, if you know that day's coming and living that day now, of course you'll live differently from the world living in darkness, because you're awake to it. A deeper wokeness, if I can say it again. What sort of shape does that life have? Well, as Paul describes it here, he emphasises what I call direction and clarity. A life awake, lived in the daylight of Christ's reign. Twice he emphasises that the believer is to, quote, be sober. Verse 6, so let us be not like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. Verse 8, since we belong today, let us be, let us be sober. The word used here uh, means more than literally being drunk. Not drunk, I should say. It means being alert, self-controlled, um, not just drifting along, being insensitive. It, it, just as the drunkenness here is a metaphor, not just literal drunkenness, though it includes literal drunkenness, but what it represents. So when Paul talks about sobriety, he's not literally talking about just only literal sobriety, but a life that is in control, directional, clear, a life of intentional virtue and purpose, an awake life in other words, an awake life, not just a life which happens, it drifts along, you just, just drift along your life, your life is something that happens, you, you live your project in your life. And in particular Paul has in mind being clothed in three particular qualities, getting dressed early, I could go on and talk about, take off the PJs of sin and put on, no I won't do that now. No. Paul says in verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Rather interesting military metaphors of a soldier's garment then. And by the way, today we still have breastplates and helmets 
even today. Faith and love as a breastplate, hope of salvation as a helmet, getting dressed early in the morning before the sun comes up, before Christ comes. Faith, trust and loyalty to Christ no matter what. Love, especially love for the brothers and sisters, but also radically love for your enemies as well. Hope of salvation, joyful living in the confidence in the promises of God. Rejoice always, give thank in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. The hope of salvation. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And Paul adds that this clothing accords with what's going to happen that day, our future. For he says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is coming. Get dressed now, is what he's saying. And then, for us, slightly confusingly changing metaphors, back to what he had in chapter 4, Paul writes, This will be true whether or not you are awake, by which he now means literally alive, or asleep, by which he means literally dead. I know it's confusing when that happens. Verse 10, so he died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, that is, the living or the dead, whether you're alive or dead when this happens, you'll live to get then you'll live together with him, Paul says. Just reinforcing Paul's earlier teaching that being dead when the Lord arrived doesn't mean you miss out on anything. He concludes, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Encourage one another. There it is. To live in a way that it really matters that daylight is coming, that Jesus is Lord. I mean, the thing is, don't live, don't live in such a way, even if you call yourself a Christian, that it doesn't really matter whether Christ is returning. Right? You've got your life secure. without That doesn't really feature in how you live. No, says Paul, that's not the way to live. And encourage one another in this. Because it is hard to live contrary to what seems natural in the way the world is at the moment. That's why we need each other. Now, I know Paul did not end his letter here. He briefly adds a number of further instructions, mostly about how to conduct themselves in their new Christ-focused community of spiritual mourning people, <clears throat> talking about giving honour to their leaders, reminding the leaders <coughs> excuse me, of their duties, and then telling them all how to keep their spiritual fervour with discernment. You can read it for yourselves. We, however, have come to the end. The end not just of this sermon, but the end of 1 Thessalonians. And so we can say goodbye, for the time being at least, to our brothers and sisters in Christ in first century Thessalonica. If there's any truth in what Paul wrote to them in this letter, then we will one day meet them again. Really. They're dead, but they will be raised, and we'll be with them, with the Lord. Perhaps you could correct whether my sermon has been correctly interpreting this situation, if you've got time for that. But it's great to think of that, isn't it? And we, like them, though thousand years later, are called to live as mourning persons in Christ, 
to live in the light of this coming daylight of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be those who are awake, sober, living lives of Christian hope and virtue in a world that's still in the dark, so that that day will not surprise us whenever it is, and we with them receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul draws his words to them and also this morning to us to a close with a powerful prayer. It is that his readers will be made fully holy and protected completely for that coming of the Lord Jesus Christ they're living for. He prayed it for them. Let me pray it for you. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept safe, blameless, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.